Happy holidays and welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of December 24, 2012. This is episode 176 and I'm Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We are the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. And if you're listening to us, the Mayans were butt-ass wrong. (laughs) With me on the podcast, who else is here? Robert Brevo, senior account director at Interval. And uh, Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. Happy it's the holidays. All male choir. It is. <laughs> You're the soprano. Go ahead. You can be the soprano. You want to claim that? Can we sound or good? Or the alto? What's this higher, the alto or the soprano? I think the soprano is the highest. Soprano, yeah. And then alto, and then what? tenor, and then bass. Tenor, and then bass. And I believe bass. that's the range. Well, you should know that, Adam. You're the musician in the house. Yeah, I did choir for a while in high school, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I stopped. I can remember singing um, No Man is an Island in choir <laughs> and a Barry Manilow song, but I can't remember which one. You should close out the podcast with a with a Manilow tune. <laughs> I wish I could remember which one. It wasn't Coca Cabana. It was something else. Are you are you a Fanilow? Uh, no, well, I don't mind his music, but not a Fanilow. <laughs> I'm a Bevelo, not a Fanilow. <laughs> Chris Fanilow? <laughs> <laughs> okay so a couple updates um remember we have a new linkedin group called the arrogant healthcare marketing bastards podcast group that's pretty long uh but we're we're shifting away from the joe public group we'll put another reminder for that um we're gonna be closing that down probably sometime in january uh, but we've already got a lot of activity on the new group which is phenomenal uh and so uh i think it's a great place for people who listen to this podcast to actually come back together and have some conversations, which we're already doing. Yeah. Or even so if you that's even, cool. Even if you don't listen, just come on over and shoot the, shoot the S we'll be hanging out. Of course, if you don't listen, you wouldn't hear that message. So uh, that good was, point. Yeah. That's all right. Communications is what we do. <laughs> maybe, but maybe somebody <laughs> who hears that message will send, will tell somebody who doesn't listen. That's what I mean. They don't have to listen. Yeah, I know. That's I'm right. just giving you a hard time. I'm amped on coffee, so this is going to be a fun episode, let me tell you. Uh, let's see what else. Don't forget to, to use our hashtag, PoundHMB, if you want to contact us on Twitter. Or just tweet out to us. Either or way. Or tweet out to us. You do that, too. Uh, we, we've also started, which I love this idea, so we posted the podcast agenda that we're going to go through today earlier in the week. Uh, on that LinkedIn group, so folks have an opportunity to see it and weigh in and uh, maybe give us some commentary beforehand. So we'll continue to do that, Uh, but we're not going to be locked into uh, the agenda if something were to pop up like uh, the apocalypse or one of us wins (laughs) the lottery or something in between the agenda being posted and this recording. Uh, And that has actually happened uh, in a way that we think we're going to go off script a little bit. Uh, but actually, this this first talker, I think, is is so big and so important that we'll probably cover over the next few podcasts. So we won't spend you know the entire time on it today. I'll just set it up. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about it, uh, give some insight, but continue to dig in because there's so much uh, to dig in around mass advertising for hospitals and health systems. Uh, and let me give you a little background on this. 
you know, if you've listened to this show, you know our stance, I think, by this point. Uh, or if you've read the book, Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital. But I don't know that we've ever spent an enormous amount of time digging into a lot of the beliefs. You can find them on our blogs. You can find them in the book. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to draw those out over the next few podcasts. And so one of the things I go out and speak all the time uh, on Joe Public content, and that's a big part of it. And I'm always talking about you know, why we need to be smarter about our marketing. And one of the reasons I give is what I call external scrutiny. So the idea that uh, really over the last few years, as our country has grappled with how do we deal with this bloated, ineffective healthcare system we have that's so expensive, uh, you know, how do we fix it? And you see more and more uh, media sources, politicians, regulators, uh, and others kind of pointing the spotlight at hospital advertising for good or for bad. And there's been, uh, there's, that's been happening for a while, and we've been keeping a catalog, which we'll share with people, uh, of those kind of stories and, and uh, opinions. But there's been a few recently. Uh, there was an article in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that looked at all the hospital advertising in the St. Louis market. And then there was a blog post uh, by a hospital CEO. And now, of course, I don't have his name up here, but I'm going to get it for you because this, I think, came out last week. And it's, for me, I actually responded, I tried to respond directly to the CEO. Uh, his name's John McCabe. He's the CEO of Upstate University Hospital. And he basically just said, look, you know, I look around and see all these competitive ads, you know, hospitals from miles away trying to compete in our market, vice versa. And I really have to ask, is this helping? And he means it on a few levels. He means, is it really helping these organizations succeed? Uh, and then at a bigger theoretical level, is this really helping us deliver a better level of care? So that's kind of the immediate background. Uh, Marianne Aiello, I think I'm pronouncing that right, who is a blogger for Health Leaders Media, has decided to respond to this, uh, to these these kind of negative... It's what John McCabe's was even negative. It was just asking the question. Um, I know Marianne. Uh, I think she's really bright. She knows... I think she knows her stuff. And she does an admirable job in a post that came out yesterday trying to defend hospital advertising. Uh but I got to say, I disagree on almost all fronts. And and Marianne's post is really more a reflection of how the industry tries to defend itself. Uh, she calls a lot of quotes into the post, um, reflects a lot of what healthcare marketers say in these stories or to her directly. Uh, but I, I can take apart every single one of these arguments uh, and still land in a place where I feel like we waste an awful lot of money mm-hmm. on, on mass advertising. And what do you guys, first of all, you know, I think I'm preaching to the choir, certainly on this podcast when I say that. Yeah, it's interesting to read the article and kind of see how marketing is equated to advertising. At least it feels that way a little bit. And I think as we've talked about a lot, you know, marketing is much more than that, but that's really the focus of this piece, that when you're marketing, you're obviously advertising. Right. Yep. It's, here's a couple things. So I've got a blog post that we'll post to you that's a very long, I call it my Jerry Maguire letter, and I think I mentioned that on a podcast a couple times ago, 
the you know Jerry Maguire at the beginning of that movie is a sports agent. And he kind of sends out a memo at an industry conference. You know, here's a guy that's been in the industry forever. It's brought him a lot of success, and he's basically saying, "Hey, we've gotten away from what's really important." In that case, it's you know personal relationships with their clients or whatever. Uh, and he, so he really tries to to go against what his whole industry is doing. Uh, and that, like I've said, I think on the last podcast or two ago, uh, you know, we have been in business for 18 years, the last 10 of which, uh, have been only healthcare. And without even looking at the numbers, I can tell you that over those 10 years, we've brought in more revenue from hospital advertising than anything else we've done. Uh, and yet I have spent the last year plus traveling around the country, uh, speaking, putting it in a book, blogging about it, basically pleading with healthcare marketers to stop the madness, to put mass advertising last on the list instead of the first knee-jerk thing we do. Uh, and so the blog post that, I, that I've got really outlines why that's the case. Um, but I want to hit on a couple of the things that she's got in here. And again, this is not to pick on Marianne. I think she has articulated what the industry, how the industry would respond. Uh, so this is really you know, a pushback on how the industry thinks this makes sense. So, for example, the first defense is ads as patient education. Uh, and she says, I've spoken to hundreds of hospital markers, ask any one of them the most important aspect of the marketing strategy, and each one will point to patient education. And then she says, without targeted advertising, a patient may not, a patient may not know he or she can receive cancer treatment closer to home or that his community medical center is holding a lecture series on diabetes or that his or her primary care provider now uses an online patient portal. Okay. So it goes on to talk about that. And in my blog post, you know, patient education is fine if it's truly about educating them around health issues. Uh, but that's not what most of these mean. What they're talking about is basically promoting their services. And that is education. And in my blog post, I have a little fun. I'm like, you know, isn't it too bad that we don't have a, a central resource that, you know, offers access to all of the healthcare choices where you can learn about them in the market and you can do some research and study and you can talk to other people that have experienced that care. And wouldn't it be even better if that was easily accessible, like through a home appliance, like your microwave or your blender, you know, somewhere where you could easily just jump on and, and find out what all the choices are, right? I mean, hello, it's not 1972 anymore. We don't have to run mass advertising to explain what our services are. Right? Right. I mean, we have the internet. Things have changed. So we can't just fall back on, well, we've got to let people know what we have. So we're going to run television spots to do that? Yeah, it's definitely not in tune with, uh, obviously, how people stay informed today. No. No. It's just a, it's just a false <clears throat> reason. And it's, it's trotted out all the time. Um, and it really... You know, I'm all for using advertising or any other communications tool to help people improve their health and wellness, which I, we've been talking about for years. Uh, but I really question the need to. I mean, first of all, you really, you're going to educate everybody in all the services you offer, all 101 pathways that you might have, all 20 service lines that you offer. You're going to you're going to educate everybody on that using mass advertising. So, no. Um, she talks about the business case, which I won't get into, um, which I think is really poor for mass advertising. Uh, she also talks about how um, 
and while let's see and while some larger health systems spend what seemed like large amounts of money on advertising on average the hospital marketing budget accounts for a tiny portion of the overall organizational budget uh which is true <clears throat> there's a quote in here from a chief strategy officer uh, about that advertising is a i call it in the blog post a pimple on the butt of the operational budget <laughs> um for these systems that doesn't excuse it that doesn't mean it's okay to spend a million dollars to run a mass you know advertising campaign talking about how much you care with no call to action that does absolutely nothing for anybody um you know yes that's a teeny tiny percentage of your overall system spend but think from a marketing perspective what you could do with that million dollars how much more effective you could be with online content search uh community involvement uh patient experience you, the list just goes on and on so those are just a few of my rants you guys got anything else to add on this again we're going to cover this continue to cover it but well, I, I couldn't let it go I think it's interesting too, you know, when you when you see some healthcare organizations' affinity for, like you said, Chris, TV spots, and, and that's that's what you need to be doing. Um, when you look at the the overall market, I mean, obviously, you know, TV stations taking the Minneapolis market, for example, their ad revenues are declining fast, and you're seeing you're seeing their resources, you know, being cut. People are starting to kind of go back to the day where you've got a reporter and he's shooting the footage himself, and it's just the the margins aren't there for TV yet. So there are a lot of industries and a lot of companies who recognize this and are going a different route. And so to 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 read a piece that really says, "Hey, advertising is what you need to be doing," just does not align with you know the way things are changing. Yeah, that and <clears throat> you know this is something I've harped on in the past too. And, and, you know, if I don't, I don't know that this applies necessarily to, to people who would be listening to a podcast. I think if you're taking steps to, you know, listen, listen to a healthcare marketing podcast, you probably have a pretty good level of sophistication in, in what you do. Um, but I think in general, in our industry, there's, there's a lack of sophistication, um, in marketing. I mean, a lot of people who get pulled into marketing are pulled in from somewhere else. They they are they aren't trained in marketing. You know, they maybe they were in HR, maybe they were in something else, and that's not to rip on anybody who's in HR. Um, but again, again, it just it just goes to sh- I mean, there's there's just this a lack of sophistication when it comes to marketing skills because a lot of the people who end up in marketing, you know, they they didn't start there. That's not what they're trained in. Um, <clears throat> so I you know I, I think when that's the case, inevitably you're going to end up with with the the obvious solutions, which you know. Advertising is the obvious solution right. to to any problem that seems to be marketing related, um, and that just <clears throat> that that being the obvious solution comes from a lack of awareness about you know what what the alternatives are. It's kind of the and easy how powerful solution. they are. You yes, know, it's put an ad, get an ad, crank it out there. We're done. Good job, everybody. Right, right. right. E- easy solution is probably a better way to phrase it. Um, that's what I mean by obvious. I mean, I and I, and I say that, you know, with a with a, with a smirk or with air quotes because you know it's it's the wrong solution. Not necessarily in every case. I mean, to Chris's point too. I mean, there are times when advertising makes sense and is the right thing to do, um, but it shouldn't be the default. Right. I, I actually, I think I, I do draw a distinction, Adam. I think. Um, easy is part of it. So Robert's dead on. It's it's easy because I know what to do. 
Um, I know what to expect. I, I know where to get, you know, help for that. Obvious to me is, is a little different in that it's obvious because that's what we've always done and I'm, I'm comfortable with it. And, you know, I don't have to think hard about, you know, a more complicated or sophisticated strategy. Um, it also, by the way, is very fun. So if you're right. a, a marketing director or VP, it may be the, f- the the coolest thing you get to do. Right. But the primary reason for it, right, is is not the business case. It's not educating the public. It's none of the reasons in this article. It's because the people that don't understand marketing push us over the cliff to do it. Uh, and we just see this time and time again. And marketers who are struggling to try to do the right thing, to try to be accountable for the marketing that they're doing, um, it, you know, and it's the very leaders that are trying to hold them accountable for it. Uh, on, and then on the other side of their mouth, they're saying, but we got to get out there. We got to run some some billboards and TV spots, which aren't easily accountable for and certainly aren't as effective as other uh, methods. So it's, I think it's that political pressure that's probably the, the number one reason why we still see it. Uh, you also have, frankly, agencies out there. Uh, that have their entire business model is built around advertising and media buys. Uh, and if that's your partner and they're continually coming back with solutions uh, and you know it fits what your boss wants and it's easy and you have the money, it's hard to break free of that, really hard. And it's going to be rare where you find an agency that goes, you know, it's not smart to spend a million dollars in three months on this. Um, you know, you're going to promote your emergency department, right, with a million-dollar ad campaign. Uh, so anyway, we'll keep going on this. There's a lot more to dig in, uh, but it, it needs to be said and, and we need to change in my, in my posts. I keep referring to 1972. We still, as an industry, spend more money on mass advertising than any other form of marketing, which is the same as it was in 1972 or 62 or 52. So literally we're doing the same things we did 40 years ago. Even though we've got the internet, social media, mobile, you go on and on, we still are stuck in the same mindset. And to me, that's just got to change. There's no other way around it. Yeah. And, you know, we could, and I I think it would be, you know, we can't even, you know, we can come at this purely from a bottom line perspective, you know, what's good for the business? um, Or are you doing the right things from 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 a business perspective? But in this industry, there's also an ethical side of it. I mean, it's not just about the bottom line, but it's, it's about, you know, are you doing, you know, on a societal level, what is appropriate for you to be doing with the money that you've got, especially in a, in a nonprofit organization, which so many of, uh, you know, the people we work with, you know, that's, that's the, the boat that they're in. So I don't know, there's, there's, there's something, you know, unethical about just defaulting to advertising as your solution as well and on, on, on some level. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And, and, and that's why I think there's more scrutiny on it now because as a country we've been focused since Obamacare was a, was the germ of an idea on this, on our healthcare system and how we thought it was awesome and it's really clunky and expensive and inefficient. In fact, the next story we're going to talk about speaks to that. Uh, And you know, we should be looking everywhere to improve it. And as a hospital marketer, you should be looking inward and saying, what can I do? You know, within my little teeny office in the, you know, corner of the world, how can I impact this? And you should be able to sleep at night. That's one of my blog posts I reference. You know, are you doing the right thing? If you are 
being efficient and effective with your marketing dollars, then more power to you. That that's completely what you're there for. That's what the industry demands. And I'm all for marketing for hospitals and health systems. Uh, but if you're just blowing money uh, because you can, uh, without questioning it, without results, then I think you really need to look in the mirror. But mm-hmm. and I and I can't say even easy for me to say. Not easy for me to say. Right. Our business is built on has been built on this. So we're going out there saying, hey, we're we're killing off our number one revenue source from the past because we don't believe it works anymore. So if you don't believe that, I don't know who you're going to, you know, if you don't believe it coming from us, I know who you're going to believe it from, but. All right. Should we move on to the next one? Sure. Which is a great segue, by the way, from what Adam was talking about. Uh, This was a story sent to us by Larry Asher. Larry is the owner of Worker Bees, which is an agency in Seattle. I've come to know Larry uh, because he works with one of our clients in the Seattle area, and he's a great guy. And uh, I've gotten to meet his cohort, Patty. Uh, they're great people. And Larry started listening to our podcast, and he's been sending us some great stuff. So uh, he sent us a story that was from the Seattle Times based on the latest uh I always say this wrong. I always call it the wrong thing. Dartmouth Atlas Project, which most people are familiar with. For 20 years, there's been a group out of Dartmouth that has looked at utilization across the country, demonstrating how foobar it is. Uh, And they most recently looked at the Pacific states where Larry is from. And I'm going to read you the email that Larry sent me because I think it's hilarious. And then we'll get into kind of the, um, the headline of the story says, decisions about surgery often hinge on where you live. which the point is the discrepancy of who gets surgery uh, really isn't based on who needs it. It's based on what physician group is where and how they treat things. So uh, this is what he says. Here are the conclusions I've drawn. One, if your client's surgical volumes are down, suggest they move their hospital to another city. He suggests Wenatechi, Washington, or Modesto, California, based on the study. (laughs) Because the point is that the volumes of surgery there are like two or three times what they are in other places. Um, geography is destiny. He likes the sound of that. Uh, and then he says, what do they have against breasts in Olympia, Washington? Uh, and what he means by that is in the study, uh, I'm going to find that quote. It says, now they look at all kinds of elective procedures, right? And they say women in Seattle and Spokane with early breast cancer are more than twice as likely as those in San Francisco to undergo a mastectomy. Uh, while other choices include lumpectomies plus radiation. <clears throat> and patients in Olympia were more than four times as likely as those in San Francisco to get a whole breast removed. So that's why he's saying, what do they have against breasts in Olympia? Um, that's just one of many examples in here. Uh, patients in uh, Wenatechi, I assume that's Washington, are three times more likely to have their arthritic knees replaced than our patients in Honolulu. Um it just goes on and on, and the 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 study authors point out that the, there's not really a difference in patients in these different markets, and there's not a difference in patient preference. Uh, the difference is really uh, physician training and preference on how to treat these things. So did you guys have a chance to read through this? I did, yeah, and it's, you know, it's... Not surprising, I guess. I think for most people or, you know, the average consumer that goes to a hospital, you're dealing with something that you don't know a lot about. And so you're going to rely on that physician. And I think, you know, the whole point is the patients need to be informed. And that's where I think, you know, certainly 
hospitals can do a better job. But, you know, this article touches on the fact that it's the training, you know, oftentimes and the physician and how they, how they treat their patients and that they train other physicians and that creates a culture. And I think that's, that's to be expected. And I think, you know, a good physician is one that engages the patient, um, in that decision so they can make the right one. But, um, at the end of the day, I think when it comes down to whose responsibility is it, you know, to, to keep the patient informed, you know, ultimately it, it is, it's the patient. And I think there are a lot of ways that they can be informed and that's where, you know, hospitals and healthcare organizations can play a big role in that. But, uh, I guess to me, this wasn't, you know, this data certainly wasn't surprising. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is just another, you know, it's a great example of how this is an industry where, you know, we, we, this industry doesn't play by the same laws or rules as other industries when it comes to supply and demand. Um, because in this, this industry, you know, the industry gets to create both, <laughs> you know, because phys- physicians are the right. one who create the demand, not necessarily patients. I mean, I, patients should be um, informed, but, you know, I, th- I think of myself, if I go in and, and, and I have a doctor tells me I need to do something, you know, unless it's like really kind of a sketchy thing, I'm going to probably or like really, really questionable uh, and how, how I would determine whether or not it's questionable what he said. I, I don't even know. Um, you know, I'd get a second or a third opinion, but you know, I've, I just feel like I should be able to trust my physician and the mm-hmm. doctor who I go to see if he, if he tells me to do something that it needs to be done. Um, so I just don't know. And I, I'm going to guess most people are, are, you know, for the most part like that when, when their physician tells yeah. them they need to do something, they're going to do it. Um, yeah. So, I mean that, but that's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's an odd, you know, I don't think there's any other industry that, that, gets to to act this way or that gets to be this way that creates you know both supply and and demand i I, there's there's a couple that that popped into mind adam when you said that i don't think it's to this extreme um but you're right i mean whenever you have the people with the supply creating the demand you've got a problem uh and the one that pops into mind with me is auto mechanics yeah uh and i and i have often used this analogy uh you know if my car starts doing something funny like most people, now there are some people that know what's going on, but the vast majority of people have no clue. They'll bring it into a mechanic. Uh, and I remember probably 20 years ago, Sears got into huge trouble, huge trouble, because they were driving uh, so much unneeded uh, mechanical work on cars because it was part of their profit goals. Mm-hmm. So you bring your, you know, to the Sears, um, they had a name for it, I can't remember, the Sears Garage or whatever, which was in my town back in Iowa, a bit, you know, one of the main places you'd go. And they would say, you know, that clunking noise, you got to get your carburetor changed or whatever. And consumers don't know. I don't know what I need my carburetor changed right. or what up. So they've got the supply. And even though, yeah, the demand is is people coming in, they're creating false demand in so many cases uh, by drumming up the business that they use. Physicians are doing the same thing. And, and as, the, as the authors note, it's not always intentional. Uh, it's not that they're all evil, money-grubbing folks that are just trying to, to generate profit. They're trained differently. Uh, they have different preferences. But there certainly is a financial incentive to this. Because when we have p- fee-for-service and doctors know their bread is buttered by the more surgeries they do, you can't help but think that there is a component to that. Yes, there's a Hippocratic oath, but you know what's the famous saying? No, 
no no margin, no mission. And there, you know, we've covered stories on this podcast of of hospitals and doctors getting into trouble for this. So uh, that's got to be part of it too. Uh, I think Robert's right. It's not a surprise they've been they've been putting this stuff out for years and years. But every time you hear it, every time you hear that patients in Thousand Oaks, California, with benign prostate disease were twelve times more likely than patients in Bellevue, Washington, to undergo a surgical procedure, uh, that just shows how dysfunctional our system is. Uh, and it's not a surprise to hear that. But until we fix this and have some best practices and some consistency around what is really smart and works, I don't see how we fix our system as a right, whole. Right. And to pull it and to bring it all back to ethics again, um, <clears throat> you know, with, with your car, at least with, 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 when it comes to a car, I'm not going to, you know, if you get suckered into paying for something that you didn't need, or if I get suckered into paying for something I didn't need, you know, I'm going to pay for that out of my pocket or you're going to pay for it out of your pocket. You know, in the case of healthcare, man, we're all, we're all paying for that. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Well, but you know what? It's kind of the same thing, Adam. I mean, We've all had the experience with with insurance, right? Car insurance, where you bring your car in and they're like, oh, you know, you might as well get this fixed and this fixed and this fixed because insurance covers it. And you're like, well, all right. Well, all that does is go into the big kitty of insurance payments that kicks it up for everybody. It's it's a a smaller example, but... Yeah, I was thinking smaller things. But yeah, no, yeah, definitely. If you're talking about bigger bigger repairs, something something that I, I think I might... Just automatically be someone who would go out and get in a second opinion, which I did. I got a recent recent experience where someone one shop told me I needed to pay sixteen hundred dollars to have my entire exhaust replaced, and I took it across the street. and The guy was like, "Well, you can put a couple hose clamps on this thing to hold it. It's going to hold it forever, and pay four hundred bucks to replace your muffler, and that's about all you need." So I was like, uh, "Okay, I guess I'll go that route." Um, so I, I, for me, I guess I don't want to. Base. I mean, my my clearly my opinions are based in in this area on my past experience, which yeah. most of ours probably are. Um, but yeah, you're you're exactly right um, when it comes to something like that, and, and your insurance is actually kicking in and taking care of it. Um, we are all going to be putting the bill on that to some degree. Well, I'll I'll leave us with this um, near the end of the story. It says um, when patients do get more information, they often change their minds, and it quotes a study by. Um, that was published in Health Affairs, where Group Health Cooperative, which is a uh, cooperative system in Washington, looked at the effect of informational videos aimed at patients with knee or hip arthritis. Rates of replacement surgeries dropped sharply by 38 and 26%, respectively, over six months. Uh, Larry's Larry's last comment in his email of his learnings from this are, four, stop <clears throat> using informational videos. They're killing your hospital's volume. Um He's meaning that tongue-in-cheek, and we're actually talking to a system out east that is wanting to create a content marketing program uh, that is, is just like that. Is The intent of it is to try to keep people out of the surgical suite. And you might go, well, why would you want to create marketing that literally keeps people out of your surgical suite? And the reason is they feel like they have a, a moral duty to provide folks with the appropriate level of care and their competitors don't. And they want to distinguish themselves by saying, come to us, we'll do everything it takes to keep you out of the surgical suite. We will be your partner in therapy, you know, drug therapy, whatever, you know, all this content we can give you. Uh, And of course, if you need surgery, we're going to be here for you. Uh, But what a position to hold in a market. I mean, that's the mechanic who says, nah, you don't need your brakes changed. Come back in six months. Who are you going to trust? You know, right. if you go to a mechanic and they turn you away for business, 
boy, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, well, these guys are, have my best interests in mind, not their own. Right. So exactly. I, I, I think that's a smart approach. Yeah, yeah. When All it right. comes to establishing a building trust, for sure. Yeah. Okay. One more. I know we're we're cranking on the time, but it's the holidays, right? It we is. We can do what we want to do. <laughs> All right. Last one is uh, Ad Age published the top viral ad campaigns of 2012. Uh, and we'll post the article for you. Uh, I have to be honest. Uh, I tried to start watching them, and the first one is the Coney 2012 video, which is like a half hour long. So I couldn't get through it, and I glanced at the other 10, and I only have seen <laughs> one of them. One, which was LeBron's Day, which was an ad, which I loved. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, but all the rest of these, I've never seen them before. The rest, I believe all the rest are ads. The only one on here that's really not an ad, and even the Stratos, I mean, the Stratos one is technically a Red Bull ad right um mm-hmm. the only one that's not an ad is that first one which is more of a, a issue awareness of an issue um that the coney 2012 yeah i haven't seen most of them either to be honest um the stratos the Gal- one i guess i saw but i didn't even realize the galaxy s3 it. was was pretty good i know i've seen that one several times yeah. so it must be in their target market where they're kind of mimicking the people waiting in line for the iphone 5 um, that was, you know, another ad that was pretty good. But yeah, I hadn't seen other than Stratos. I had not seen any either. That one really, I mean, as an iPhone user, that one torques me. I, I don't like that one. Oh, that one. <laughs> I, I'm an iPhone user, but that one made me laugh. <laughs> it made me. It, it made me chuckle for sure. But at the but it was. It's oh, like I've so. It's that. so exaggerated. I mean, I don't. To the point where, and and there are things about that phone too that they try to make look cool, like the whole "let's touch our phones together to uh, transfer playlists or videos." It's like really, you have to physically touch. That's that's considered awesome <laughs> to have to physically touch your phones together to transmit data. That's actually uh, pretty backwards, considering I should be able to transmit data to you just as fast as that if you were, you know, in Japan and I was where I am right now. Shouldn't need to right. touch your phone. So I don't know, <clears throat> but. But I, I think it's powerful because uh, obviously there are maybe it's exaggerating a little bit, but there are people that that sleep out, you know, a night or two in advance of an iPhone or a tablet or whatever, and it's a great way to position yourself against that because you know there are plenty of people that are to their core contrarian. And Apple used to be contrarian. Apple was the contrarian brand. You know, screw you, Microsoft. You know, that's Big Brother. We're the rebels. Well, now they're the leader. And the contrarians are are against Apple because it's so popular and everybody's, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid or whatever. So in that way, of course, if you're an Apple fan, you don't like it. But for the contrarians, they love that stuff. Yeah, I know. But it's it's the way they put the way they set up the people in the ad and the like the the just the stupid way that people are are speaking and the things that they're saying. <laughs> I mean, I know they're making I know they're just it's exaggerating and I know there are people who are that bad, but in general yeah, they are. people are not I mean Apple users are not that stupid. Right. I think it touches on something though, especially with the iPhone 5, at least initially when that came out, it was this big, oh, what, you know, what are going to be the, the big new features and, you know, again, they're exaggerating it, but they're touching on, you know, the earphones and the where the jack is and some of those they, you know, obviously overplaying how this is this is what's so great about this, but, you know, it did touch on I think some of the 
you know, initial questions that people had when, when the iPhone 5 came out of, you know, ooh, what's, what's new? And Yeah, but you know, the other it. thing about that, though, too, is that it's not people who make that hype. It's the media that makes that hype. The media is the one who's all like, oh, the, the awesome thing is that the headphone jack's on the bottom and the screen is a little bit bigger. Um, so it's, it's, it's just odd. I mean, the media builds this hype and then the media comes and rips on it and blames people for getting excited about those things when the people are like, I don't know, I'm just reading what the hell Mashable is saying the phone is going to have or you know CNN or mm-hmm. whoever. So it's just, it's kind of, I don't know, there's this weird... I don't know, it's just funkiness, funkiness with the way that the media likes to build things up and then tear it down. And I don't know, it kind of, as I said, it irks me a little bit. Yeah, well. And you guys know any of these other ones? Uh, the Eminem one, I think I saw that. Wasn't that like on a Super Bowl thing? Yeah, I didn't. I I honestly don't know why that's. I think it's because of the Super Bowl is on here. I mean, I, I assume this is a list based on um, views on YouTube and other video. It looks like um, that's the metric sources. Yeah. So I know that was a popular ad. Uh, it was fine. I, you know, it's not an ad that I'm like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so I didn't do it for me. By the way, I'm gonna get this in here before uh, I forget. We. Hopefully, we'll have a link to this, but I happened to be watching the local news last night, which I never do, and then once I watch it, I'm like, oh my gosh, now I remember why these cornball <laughs> you know, reporters and Jason, what's his name, LaRusha or LaRusha, just make me want to vomit. But there was an ad for Children's Hospitals and Clinics in Minnesota. Did you guys see this? I did not. It was phenomenal. I instantly like, you know, emailed the VP, uh, who we know over there, Bjorn. And it was an ad featuring one of their emergency room physicians, and it was basic. It was him talking, and he was basically saying, "This time of year at Children's, we see a lot of sledding injuries. So parents keep these tips in mind." And then it went to like an animated um, kind of reel of a kid sledding and pointing out things to watch for. Watch, you know, where they're sledding into, you know, all this kind of basically health and wellness safety content. And it wasn't about their machines, and it wasn't about their sort of. It wasn't all that. And I'm like, yes, that is what we beg people to do. And here's children's doing it right in our own backyard. So I hope that uh, he can send me that. Uh, he said he was going to send it to me today. I'll, I'll push him for it so we can post that so people can see it. Uh, but I love the spirit of it. Love it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, <clears throat> just to backtrack one second, we were just talking about metrics on those videos and how they're determined. <clears throat> I. I don't know how the heck Gangnam Style is not on this page, considering that came right. out that came out like four months ago. It's at almost one billion views on YouTube, whereas the top one here for 2012, the Coney 2012, is 213 million views. Um, so I'm not sure how they're making the decision on these being the top ten viral videos. And also, I would I would seriously question what their definition of viral is because to me, like Gangnam Style is is clearly the definition of viral, something that comes out and just almost immediately takes off, just like crazy takes off. I don't know that any of these other ones, with the exception of maybe the Coney one, um, came out and just out of the gate was just viral, just took off. Like people could not resist sharing it. And primarily because most of them are ads. And I don't think that ads are, you know, with the, a few exceptions right. like um, the old Spice Guy, which went viral, actually went viral pretty quick. Um, ads typically aren't 
in my opinion, viral. Um, well, uh, let me let me clarify for you because at the bottom in small print it says it's, it focuses on brand driven social video uh, yeah, ad yeah. campaigns. This is ad age, remember. Um, it does not include movie trailers, video game uh, campaign. Okay, well, okay. I don't know why video game can't. Why a video game campaign couldn't be in there? Yeah, that's an ad. Well, TV show, media network promotions. So Gangnam Style wouldn't fit. Nor yeah, would, yeah. for example, the. Um, Nickelback Instagram video, which is <laughs> which is to me a pure viral video, right? Somebody created that and it blows up. Um, ads can be viral. You're right. Well, they're, they're not counting the paid part; they're just counting the title, how much it got spread around. The title of the article, too, to your point, is "Ad Age's Top Viral Ad Campaigns." Right. Um, right. But you know, again, I think I think it's it's <laughs> taken some liberties with the word "viral" because I don't think any of the you know maybe a couple of them maybe, but. I don't so know. not to right. get not to get too nitpicky, but they say they don't uh, include TV shows or media network promotions. But the whole TNT Daily Dose of Drama—that's basically what that is, right? Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, I thought so. But well, here's anyway. here's what I'm going to here's what I'm going to completely confirm what Adam's saying. Have any of you? The only one I think that is an exception is the Coney. Other than that, do you think anybody forwarded any of these videos to anybody else? <laughs> right. 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 Maybe the Eminem one, maybe, um, but are people, you know, going, oh, check out this LeBron's Day ad, check it out, you know, right. that's viral. Viral is when people send it to each other, not an ad agency creates it, runs a huge multi-million dollar ad campaign, right. and drives people in to look at the video online. Right. That's not viral. Maybe the first two. So, Coney 2012, I know was shared a lot. Um, I just never, I don't think I ever really watched the whole thing because it was so damn long. Right. Although I think I probably will right. now that I've gotten a little farther into it. The Stratos one, just because it was such an interesting and unique thing, um, mm-hmm. I think that was shared a fair amount. But the rest, purely ad-based. Yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, I, like with the, the whole Samsung one, the Galaxy S3, you know, as an Apple fan, I think the Apple ads are nice, but I don't like go to Facebook and excitedly share them with people. <laughs> right, right. So maybe we should post a comment on there and go, these may be the most popularly watched brand-oriented or social-oriented videos. That doesn't make them viral. Right. It, by our definition of viral is it's so powerful that you don't have to spend millions of dollars to promote it. Uh, it just gets around because of its power, which would be Coney. I'm sure there was no ad campaign promoting Coney. Right. Um, maybe there wasn't for a lot of these, but I really doubt that people were, you know, sending around a TNT ad. Maybe. <laughs> I haven't seen it. So, But I've seen LeBron's Day, and I can almost guarantee you that, no, and I'm a sports guy, and my friends are sports guy, nobody sent me that going, <laughs> check out this really cool, smooth you know, ad for LeBron. Nobody. <laughs> why, I don't know why would they. Right. <laughs> right. All right. Well, we better cap it there because we're hitting the 45-minute mark. But that's fine, right? Yeah, yeah, it's our podcast. It's our gift to That's you. Right. Yeah. It's our. <laughs> <laughs> we give, give. That's give. awesome. We do. Well, thanks for joining us. Hopefully, you have a awesome holiday break. Uh, enjoy your time with your family and your friends. Uh, I know we will. So, for the arrogant healthcare marketing bastards podcast, this is Chris Bevelo, Robert Prevo, and Adam Meyer. We will talk to you in the new year. Bye.